0: At least as far back as the Vietnam War, purported experts have told us that conventional warfare is dead. The current invasion of Ukraine by Russia seems to prove those experts wrong, just as whether they were about the tank and combat aviation. The continued importance of conventional war is the subject of this episode of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. Welcome to The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. I'm Chris Mayer, retired U.S. Cavalry Colonel and one-time instructor of the U.S. Army's Command and General Staff College and the Naval War College. This series of podcasts introduces enduring lessons of war, not so much for those who study war as a profession, but for anyone who wants to fulfill their role as informed citizens in our country's deliberations about war and peace, and particularly now, when the world is facing war again. In the previous podcast, I explained why, despite appearances, the tank is not dead, and Colonel Jason Nail, Thierry, and I discussed the continued viability of combat aviation when employed properly. Both of these are centerpieces of conventional or traditional warfare. But is traditional warfare itself a relic of the past? Now, this has been a frequent claim since the Vietnam conflict and continuing up to practically the present day. Now, this claim didn't just come from military pundits and dilettantes, but also from respected sources, including RAND, Hebrew University, and the Center for Strategic Studies. They point out that since the armistice halting the active fighting in the Korean War, there have been more than a hundred conventional or irregular wars compared to a relative handful of conventional wars. Better known examples of these irregular wars include the French and American experiences in Vietnam, the insurgencies in Iraq and the Soviet and American defeats in Afghanistan. Now, this doesn't include dozens of lesser-known but equally deadly conflicts in Africa, Latin America, and Asia. This can create the impression that these irregular wars comprise the dominant and only important war form of this era traditional war, with its large standing armies and expensive weaponry waiting to be used, seems like a waste of resources compared to smaller, lighter, and more adaptable forces better suited for contemporary and emerging forms of irregular warfare. That is, it might have seemed so until February 2022 and the renewed Russian invasion of Ukraine. But like almost everything else in warfare, irregular war is not new and conventional war is not obsolete neither one has ever existed without the other the bible provides examples of insurgent warfare including david against saul and later the maccabee revolt in more modern times the very term guerrilla which is spanish for little war came into use during the napoleonic wars to describe the insurgency by spanish patriots against the french before that american colonial insurgents fought against the british while indigenous tribes made insurgent attacks against the American colonists. Before that, the term sniper comes from the German schnapper, describing irregular warfare conducted by the German population taking snapshots against the French forces of Louis XIV. Now before I go on, I need to explain some terms I'll use in describing the various forms of war and why conventional war remains important. First, there is war and warfare. Now, war is the use of violence to achieve a political objective. Warfare is the means and methods used to conduct a war. Moving on from there is conventional warfare, until recently referred to as traditional warfare in U.S. joint doctrine. This is typically one state versus another state, using tanks, infantry, artillery, air power, and so on. Conventional, traditional, and regular mean pretty much the same thing, and I may use them interchangeably in this podcast. If there is conventional war, then there must be unconventional warfare, also called irregular warfare. The Defense Department describes irregular warfare as, and I quote, a violent struggle among state and non-state actors for legitimacy and influence over the relevant population, unquote. An easier way to look at it may be that the means and methods of this type of war uses unconventional means and methods when compared to regular war, in order to achieve its political objective. Insurgencies, counterinsurgencies, or guerrilla warfare all fit into this category. Now, contrary to some military commentators, our favorite military theorist in this series of podcasts, Carl von Clausewitz, did not ignore or belittle irregular warfare. Clausewitz devoted a chapter of his magnum opus on war to that very topic titled Burgerkrieg or Citizens' War. Rather than disparaging insurgent operations, Clausewitz described how insurgent warfare can be a strategic asset and what needs to be done to give it maximum opportunity for success. He listed five conditions where insurgent warfare can be successful, conditions which sound remarkably like conditions where irregular war has some measure of success today. But any deeper discussion of that is a subject for a future podcast. The point is that irregular warfare has always been part of war, and traditional wars almost always included irregular warfare components. For Clausewitz, and in military operations after his writing, unconventional warfare was either part of or worked in parallel to conventional warfare. Recent military influencers, however, seem to discuss irregular warfare as separate from traditional warfare the argument is that there has been some sort of paradigm shift from conventional to unconventional warfare rendering conventional warfare obsolescent or irrelevant. The reality of the march of history is quite different than this perception. The reformers are right in noting that irregular warfare, including insurgent warfare, is far more common than conventional warfare. But it's always been that way. In addition to the examples I already mentioned, there were the Indian Wars of the North American continent which occupied so much of the entire 19th century, or the British in India or South Africa. At no point, however, did unconventional warfare make conventional obsolete. The unconventional warfare against the Indians had nothing to do with the conventional warfare that was fought between the Union and the Confederacy. Mao Tse Tung's concept of revolutionary war included both irregular and conventional war as necessary and complementary. The first two stages of his revolutionary war, which were called Organization, Consolidation, and Preservation of Base Areas, were followed by his Progressive Expansion by Terror and Attacks on Isolated Enemy Units, and these are very similar to Clausewitz's description of insurgent warfare. Mao's third stage, Decision and destruction of enemy in battle represents a transition from irregular to conventional warfare. This is, in fact, what happened in Vietnam. Saigon did not fall to a Viet Cong insurgency, but to the regular forces of the North Vietnamese Army with tanks, other armored vehicles, and artillery supplied by Moscow using Mao Tse-tung's continuum of warfare strategy. But as Mao maintained in his theory, it is rarely decisive. Warfare that decides the very existence of a state continues to be the domain of conventional warfare. The Arab-Israeli wars of 1948, 1967, and 1973 each threatened the very existence of the state of Israel. The outcome of the 1973 war ultimately led to peace among Israel, Egypt, and Jordan, a peace that has been little affected by the sporadic insurgency of Palestinian Arabs of Israel. The outcome of the 1973 war ultimately led to peace among Israel, Egypt, and Jordan, a peace that has been little affected by the sporadic insurgency of Palestinian Arabs. Nor has that insurgency interfered with more recent accomplishments, such as the Abraham Accords. As I already described, it was conventional warfare that led to the destruction of the Republic of Vietnam. Shortly after that, China attacked the newly reorganized Vietnam in a conventional warfare campaign and was defeated by Vietnam in conventional warfare. The characteristics of that war spanned the spectrum of air, sea, maneuver warfare, trench warfare, strategic bombing, special operations, and use of weapons of mass destruction. A couple of years after that war ended, Iraq conducted a conventional war against Kuwait, temporarily occupying and annexing that state, until a U.S.-led coalition conducted its own conventional warfare campaign to cripple the Iraqi armed forces and liberate Kuwait, temporarily occupying and annexing that state until a U.S.-led coalition conducted its own conventional warfare campaign to cripple the Iraqi armed forces and liberate Kuwait. A decade later, a U.S.-led coalition conducted another conventional war against Baghdad, overthrowing the government. The irregular war conducted over the next 10 years was not decisive for either side, and when the Islamic State overran much of northern Iraq, largely using conventional warfare techniques, it was defeated through conventional warfare by Iraqi, Kurdish, and U.S. and other regular military forces. During this counteroffensive, the irregular Russian quasi-mercenary force, the Wagner Group, used conventional means—infantry, tanks, and other armored vehicles—to attack a gas facility defended by U.S. and local national troops. It was also defeated by conventional means, including anti-tank missiles, artillery, and close air support. Finally, this year, Russia, attempting to destroy Ukraine as an independent state, conducted a conventional war against Ukraine, which Ukraine has resisted using traditional conventional warfare techniques. Now, I'm not saying that irregular war or insurgent warfare is unimportant or cannot be decisive. Clausewitz and Mao Tung both described it as an important component of a war strategy. There are also rare examples where an insurgent campaign was successful in defeating a larger well-armed state without being part of a larger conventional war. For example, France lost Algeria as a consequence of an irregular war that it won, but at the cost of losing the French national will to secure the victory. The only reason Hanoi was able to win using traditional warfare in 1975 was because the irregular war eroded U.S. national will and we withdrew, leaving Saigon alone and vulnerable. The horribly violent and persistent wars on the African continent are almost all irregular wars, although sometimes marked by victories of the state using a combination of conventional forces and special operations. Finally, the U.S. defeat in Afghanistan, like the defeat of the Soviet Union in that country, was a matter of defeating national will to either continue the war or to take the actions necessary to defeat the insurgency. In neither case, however, was there ever any insurgent threat to the very existence of the major power. The maxim civis pacis parabellum," that is, if you want peace, prepare for war. What kind of war should a nation prepare for? What kind of war should a nation prepare for? Sources for national defense: irregular war or conventional war? Irregular war or conventional war? A traditional or an unconventional military? Should we prepare for the most likely kind of war or the less likely but more immediately existential? The best answer, of course, is both, but that may be unaffordable. In fact, it's likely to be unaffordable. In my opinion, the answer depends upon which of these two war forms presents the most serious and imminent threat to national existence, without forgetting the other one. Irregular war, as described by Clausewitz Mao, and as we have seen throughout history, is protracted, taking a long time to organize and develop. Regular war, on the other hand, can happen quickly, although never completely by surprise. Perhaps a matter of months or a year between the first warnings of an impending conflict and a war for national existence or relevance can be upon you. The question, then, is which kind of war poses the most immediate threat and which takes the longest to prepare for. First, we should understand, as Mao Tse-tung did, that conventional military forces can be very effective against irregular troops if the regular troops are properly employed to fight an unconventional foe. I would argue that it's easier to adapt troops, training, and equipment designed for conventional war to fight an irregular war than it is to adapt troops, tactics, equipments optimized for irregular warfare to fight a modern, regular force. You also have time to adapt your current forces to fight an insurgency while that insurgent force itself is organizing, consolidating, and then expanding its operations. Special operations forces are unconventional by their very nature. But they're not a replacement for regular military forces in either conventional or irregular warfare. And that's because the specialized warfare practiced by these forces is useful and, in fact, critical in both war forms. The downside, of course, is that conventional forces and special operations forces are more expensive to field, maintain, and modernize than their force optimized for counterinsurgency. It also takes longer to develop and field that force. But the money saved in choosing a force optimized for unconventional warfare will be of little value when the country is rapidly defeated in a conventional conflict. Now, there are, of course, exceptions. Not every country faces the same existential threats. Some developing countries may already be facing an existential threat from unconventional warfare. Such countries would be well advised then to develop unconventional capabilities, and perhaps entering into defense agreements with other countries when conventional forces may be needed. And what about cyber warfare? Is that conventional or irregular warfare? What it is is the subject for another podcast. To sum up, reports of the demise of conventional warfare are not only premature, they are false. Conventional and irregular warfare have coexisted throughout history, and that's unlikely to change. In general, irregular or unconventional warfare is most successful when it operates as part of a traditional war strategy. Irregular war by itself is rarely decisive. Instead, it is protracted, sometimes lasting decades, and results in large-scale death and destruction on the civilian side, with negligible effect on the combat power of the conventional forces. Now, that protracted nature with the associated death and destruction among the civilian population can erode the confidence of that population in its government, eventually leading to that government's fall or accommodation with the insurgent forces. Conventional warfare, on the other hand, is almost always decisive, at least in the near term and much shorter than insurgent warfare. Weeks, months, or years on the conventional side versus years and decades in an insurgent war. Conventional warfare either leads to the collapse of the state being attacked, or that state decisively beats those forces that would destroy it. Incorporating irregular warfare into a traditional war strategy, as traditional warfare theorist Karl von Clausewitz described, and as the Ukrainians are doing now, is a true force multiplier. It diverts enemy resources away from the decisive battlefields and can interrupt logistics or keep enemy forces from getting to the front. To survive in this or any century, the armed forces and other strategic resources of a state must be ready and able to win a conventional or traditional war while being adaptable to counter and ultimately defeat an unconventional threat. But being prepared to fight that conventional war is critical. Conventional war is not dead. Not yet, anyway. If you like these podcasts or find them useful, please hit like. And uh, come back again next time for another episode in the ancient art of modern warfare. I'm Chris Mayer.